Hey, what is going on, y'all? What's going on out there? This is Jose from Positively Cynical. How y'all doing? Say hello, my friend. Say hello. What's up, Jose? What's up, everyone? Question here. How's it going? It's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, welcome back to the podcast. We took a little hiatus. Uh brief little time off for life to catch up or for us to catch up with life, I would imagine is a better way to put it. Um, a lot more going on at work, a lot more responsibilities and time. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the other, on my other podcast or on this podcast, I got engaged. Uh, so that takes up a little more of my time. Although my fiance is amazing. She is, does a good, a good majority of the planning, but time's been scarce um, but life's been good and I am, I'm happy to be back. What about you? Question. No, I'm good. Um, yeah, things have, uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, started getting a little busier than normal. So it's pretty good. Uh, I guess being able to tackle a few things for the past couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, when you tackle one or two things, two or three more things pop up. So <laughs> it never ends. But uh, you roll with the punches. Yeah. Welcome to fucking life. Mm-hmm. Welcome to being an adult, which is overrated kids. Although I don't think any kids are listening to the podcast. Anyways, anyways, it's good to hear that you're doing well and that you caught up on some things as I attempted to do before we get started with this week's podcast. Um I want to do our quick disclaimers. We are recording remotely, so if there are any sound issues or artifacts, you can slide up into our DMs. You can find all of our social media uh, by checking out the hashtag #PositivelyCynical. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Although um, you know, we're working on getting more content up on on TikTok, um, but we were told that we needed to get a TikTok account, and and we have one, so you can find us on TikTok. And as well, the best way to support your favorite podcast crew is to like, rate, share, subscribe, and rate us on Apple Podcasts, which is probably the best way to support your favorite podcast crews uh, on on your podcast platform of choice. Um, so please help us out, help out Positively Cynical, and yeah, let's get started with the topic of the week, which is Election Day. The recent election day, which was, well, what was it? What was the question? What was election day? What happened on election day? Well, I think that um, we're still kind of trying to figure that out, but what is generally, your current opinion of that? I mean, it, I guess that's part of what we're going to kind of get into in a little bit, but it, Bottom line, it didn't really seem like it was overall a great night for Democrats. Then again, I guess it, uh, it's a matter of how you look at things, either glass half full or glass half empty. But uh, the general consensus is on a national level. Uh, didn't seem like a good night for uh, it did not seem like a good night for Democrats uh, on Election Day. Well, you say like glass half full or glass half empty, like what what would be? those two sides of the coin in your opinion is there a positive at all 
to election day? Well, that, that we saw. I mean, again, it depends on how you're looking at things because in some instances, in some races, history was made. Um, there were candidates, people of color who were the first to represent a certain city. For example, Boston had its first uh, elected female and person of color when uh, the mayor, mayor's race, um, which is historic. I mean, Boston's been around for quite a while, so that's huge. Boston's been around um, for about 400 years, and mm-hmm. it's been a long stretch of, shall we say, white males that have been the mayor of Boston. And it's been an unbroken stretch. Literally from the beginning of Boston's history. I mean, um, was it, so. was it, we, we like kind of tried to, to identify how far back this went the other day, even though we, we both pretty much assumed that it went back to Boston as an entity. But like, I would imagine it's like, goes back to Boston as an incorporated city, Boston as a, 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 city a town or a town in general city stuff like from you know plymouth rock times you figure like what 1620 and on let's just say yeah um boston's probably been a thing or in that realm of time the 1600s so you figure from what the 17th 17th century mm-hmm. to now a white boy running things in one way or another in, in boston in one way or another Tuesday was the first day ever. <laughs> well, somebody, was, somebody was elected to that position. Elected. Right? That currently, Boston. Yeah Boston, yeah, Boston has a, a, a black female mayor who was appointed uh, mayor of Boston after Marty Walsh, the previous mayor before that, uh, became the Secretary of Labor under the Biden administration, if I'm not mistaken. So it is currently uh, a person of color who is mayor, but this is the first elected female person of color to win. So that's historic. That's big news. That's a plus. Um, I think the mayor, the city of Pittsburgh also elected its first black mayor in its history. And Pittsburgh has been in the city for quite a while, too. Um, They've had black people for quite a while as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There have been a lot of black people in Pittsburgh uh, throughout its history. And this is the first time, uh, again, another person of color uh, is the winner of uh, the mayor's race in Pittsburgh. I think it's the first time a person of color. I know the first. I think it's the first black person. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, there there were some good things. If you want to consider New Jersey <laughs> to be good, I mean, the Democrats won in Jersey, right? You know, if, if that was the side you were rooting for, that was a good thing. It might not have been as much of a blowout as people wanted. But right. That was the conversation. Hey, they won. Right? There was there was there was a little bit closer than people wanted in the New Jersey the New Jersey race. That was a lot closer than people thought well, it would be. It's not people wanted. Those... Maybe that's not the way to put it, but then people expected it to go, I guess. Yes, people expected it to be uh, a lot closer. I mean, sorry, a lot more of a blowout. Um, you know, you watch these news shows and, you know, I will admit there is a I big don't. part of me. I know. Like I said, I, I'm I about to admit that I'm a, I'm a big cable news junkie to an extent. 
and I like proudly state that on 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 every occasion that I can. I'm like, fuck these new shows, CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. Like, I mean, look for as much as it's just talking heads. Sometimes they serve a purpose, even though you kind of scratch your head because at least everything leading up to the election day pretty much was hey virginia 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 that's the big deal you knew new jersey had a race but you never really heard anybody talking about it again because you figure foregone conclusion then election day happened and all of a sudden <laughs> in jersey's right alongside there with virginia as far as holy crap what the hell happened situations so you know, again, you can kind of break this down in a couple of different ways. Was it, you know, a repudiation of progressive policies? Was it a repudiation of Democrats? Um, Virginia and Jersey kind of was being it a the way repudiation they, of the status quo? We could talk about that because I think that that's I'm, probably, oh, we, oh yeah. Well, a lot of it is that, that COVID you, fatigue. Well, that's something that, that can you, be thing too. You bring up quite a bit when we have, and it's not that I disagree with you on this point, but you bring that up quite a bit whenever you discuss swings in politics it's just a there's a general turn a lot of times against whoever the status quo is um for however many years especially you talk about it when it comes to presidential elections how there's a eight to 12 year swing generally between parties um at least for the last 50 years probably you could say that that's oh yeah in the case yeah people kind of tend to get tired of one party and i think in if I'm not mistaken, for Virginia, what seems to be the trend is that whoever wins the presidency uh, the, in one year, Virginia and New Jersey are the only two states that have gubernatorial races the year after a presidential election. And more often than not, uh, Virginia's always gone the opposite way. Um, so if there was any sort of precedence, there was, but I mean, we're going to get into it a little bit more. Well, wait, um, did Virginia, Virginia voted for, for Trump, didn't they? No, 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 no. It's a matter of overall, whoever becomes president overall. No, I, like, say, I understand, but I'm just no, trying no, to No, Virginia went, no, Virginia went Virginia uh, Biden. Biden. Okay. They voted for Biden, I think, by 10 points. Uh, so it was easily won mm -hmm. by Biden. Okay. If I recall, as soon as the polls closed in Virginia last year, I mean, bam, it was one of the first times I remember Virginia, as soon as the polls closed, they were just like, bam, Virginia Democrats. Usually Virginia is one of those states where it's too close to call. You're sitting there, you're waiting. But this last year, I mean, polls closed and I'm like, hey, this just in, bam, Virginia <laughs> goes to Biden easily. We so have a winner. This is a little, it was in the, it was, it was, there were some red flags, um, but I don't think that even Terry McAuliffe, who was the Democratic nominee, thought going into this that he really was going to lose. I mean, if you see him in interviews, he seemed very comfortable and he threw the Trump name out there quite a bit. You know, that's the, that's been the go to for the past couple of years. And as the race progressed, um, you can tell he was getting a little more nervous. <laughs> you can see by his speeches, you can tell by. Uh, his interviews, the number of interviews that he did, the fact that he felt he had to do interviews to begin with on national television in order to say, hey, vote for me. Hey, uh, Congress, get something done so I can run on this. Um, it was very interesting just to kind of see that evolution 
of that race. Um, it's always a remarkable dynamic to see the contrast between like the the inland of America, so to speak, and the coastal politics because you have the recall election that recently happened in California where there was there in that case on the other side of the coin as opposed to uh, Virginia or New Jersey where the Democratic candidate was either expected to outright win or to not have any kind of challenge or, or, or whatever the situation and against the with the Republican challenger, you had the recall election um, where Newsom, where Governor Newsom uh, handily won the recall election. And then you have the situation in the New York City mayor's race where um, Eric Adams handily defeated Curtis Sliwa. So you have these situations in, in the in the coasts where the strongholds of democratic politics are still holding very, very strong and other places where expected either gains again, or, or in, or the incumbent would win, the democratic incumbent would win. We saw something very, very different from what was expected. Well, I mean, you can break down those two elections um, or kind of a before and after California's recall election to election day. Um, the one undercurrent that seems to be flowing through all of this is Corona virus and essentially the after effects mandates, you know, a big part of why the California recall election occurred to begin with was because Republicans were basically pissed off as to how Newsom was handling things during the, you know, during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, California was one of the first states to have mandates pretty much in full force on a statewide level. Among other things, we all remember what happened. California was pretty much uh, ground zero for the virus for a while during this whole thing the past two years. Mm -hmm. And Newsom put in some mandates and policies that some people felt that might, you know, might be restrictive. Um, which was the basis for the the recall, um, but it's very interesting because well, some basis. I mean, some people spoke about his handling yep. of homelessness um, and his handling of the economy, which turned out to be a lot better than people expected. As as they turned in a a fairly huge uh, budget surplus in the most recent fiscal year, if I'm not mistaken, and they had expected for it to be a loss. But there were a couple of, of reasons beyond just COVID and coronavirus that were suggested as reasons for the recall that all ended up kind of failing. Well, yeah, but Corona was and its after effects were pretty much, I think, front of mind as to why there was even a recall to begin with. It was COVID fatigue. And I think that's what you saw during Election Day also mandates as meaningful as they are. I think people are just tired of them. Not saying that they shouldn't be in place, but you, you, how often in America can you tell somebody you can't do something or we're forcing you to do this or else? You see it in New York when it, you know, with the mandates that we have here. You know, the mayor put in a mandate for masks and vaccines for all city workers, for all of essentially establishments that entertain anybody or where you can eat, you have to show proof of vaccination. So in a lot of instances, 
nationwide and on the local level, a lot of it was just besides other things that had been, you know, topics uh, that people had cared about, but Corona and its after effects, they loom large to me. They still are on the forefront of people's minds. I, suppose, I think so. Since we're I mean, still we, going through it. Yeah, we, we're still depending going through it. Are, the yeah. pandemic isn't over. Now, depending on well, where you are, are we going through it or not? Depending on where you are, probably dictates how much it is on your mind, uh, I guess, one way or the other. I think it's, yeah. But don't you think it's still on everybody's mind? It's always in the back of your mind, always, no matter where you are. I mean, where you see... Well, I don't know. Some people, some people are afraid of critical race theory, so like that's terrifying. Also, we have to remember that there's different things to be afraid of right now. Um, well, I, I, depending <laughs> on the race, it, yeah, it's exactly. right. Critical race theory did play a big part in Virginia. Very, it can be very scary to some yeah. to some people. Yeah, in Virginia, that's 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 right. Exactly, it played a fairly large part in what the candidates were pushing there in order to, to pull off that win. Mm-hmm. So. You know, there's there are other factors beyond just COVID and coronavirus. Oh, there are plenty of other factors. Probably gaining ground even as the culture war is being perpetuated by both Republicans and Democrats. But oh no, no, I, I was Republicans just saying, are winning this one, I think. Yeah, I was just saying that underlining every issue nowadays that is essentially worth running on by either side. Corona looms large. Uh, education was an issue in the Virginia race. Be, you know, one part of it was because you had parents who had children at home for almost two years, and they're all stuck in the same house. And we can go down this road as far as critical race theory, but you we tell a parent, will, he's been, but we, we're going to go into it in more detail some other time. But, yeah, yeah. You, but you tell a parent who has been cooped up in the house with their kids for anywhere from 12 to 24 months and then say something along the lines of, oh, hey, parents shouldn't have the say in the way that schools are, you know, they, uh, schools educate their children. I understand what McAuliffe was trying to say, but the nuance wasn't there. That was something that he tripped up on right towards the end and it bit him. And Youngkin took that. Glenn Youngkin is a Republican candidate, now governor-elect of Virginia. Mm-hmm. He took that and ran with it and claimed education, in quotes, and critical race theory as boogeymen that the Democrats were trying to push, even though critical, critical race, race theory, theory isn't is taught in Virginia, critical race theory uh, public schools. In, in public schools anywhere, if I'm not mistaken. Nope. It's a college-level course. So, it's a, it's usually college go, level, law level. Yeah, you have and, to go to a university. You have to go to a, a, a scary liberal college in order to be indoctrinated <laughs> by CRT, critical race theory. So Yeah, to go through a lot of regular that. school in order to get to critical race theory school, which is essentially, I guess, graduate level stuff. Well, right? you know, again, without getting into it, CRT has just become a catch-all for anything that involves America's racialized past. It's like if your kids learn that Columbus didn't actually get along with the Native Americans, then that's critical race theory because that's a horrible lie. And Columbus was wonderful and amazing and gave them corn and and all this other shit. (laughs) Yes, Um, yes. Columbus taught them 
how to how to grow corn, not the other way around. I mean, there was that video that we saw the other day, right? <laughs> yes. That was on Daily Daily Wire, right? I think it was uh, Daily Wire that it was it was uh, Europeans bringing Native Americans uh, all of the all of the things that they didn't have except for three, which was uh, I think cannibalism. Uh, other, other, it was three things, and they weren't yeah, good. I can't remember the other two, but they weren't the most flattering things. They weren't flattering. Say. Um, but anyway, getting getting off topic from Daily Wire and how fucking racist they are. Um, yeah, <laughs> the, that was a that was a factor in the Virginia race, certainly beyond just yeah. COVID and things like that. And the, those are factors that that definitely you saw, kind of what you were talking about a repudiation, so to speak of progressive policies, even though there's nothing progressive about history. We could argue about that again in the in the episode where we actually talk about this, but that was a major factor there. Well, let me ask you a question. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that this is essentially a thumb in the eye to Biden? Was this more, uh, do you agree? I mean, was this more in a, uh, you know repudiation of progressive policies? Was this you know, anti-vaccine, anti-mandate pushback. I mean, what do you think was the cause behind how Tuesday went? Well, we both had an agreement that Biden, when we did our Joe Biden episode, that Biden was doing a, a hell of a not good job right now as president. And I think we both had an expectation that it was going to be a mediocre job at best. Um, and... I I would say that I thought that at the very least he would have had a better organizational structure behind who was handling shit in his cabinet, for instance, and that's just a mess as well. So he's not doing a good job. He's doing a pretty terrible job right now. His ratings are very low. Um, his his approval ratings. Well, you know they're somewhat comparable to Trump's now. Yes, exactly. They're <laughs> they're, they're definitely lower than than some of trump's highs i guess right now right well yeah yeah um, trump never went above 50 percent, but biden i think was above 50 percent at the beginning and then has steadily declined since yeah he said steadily declined because he's doing a really bad job um so that's a factor i mean obviously that's a factor because there was there was maybe an expectation in these places where there's a lot more moderates that okay like as as you and I thought, like Biden ain't gonna be a great by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not the dumpster fire that is Donald Trump. And at the very least, he's gonna bring some semblance of management back to the White House. So in place stability, of like stability sanity. and sanity, <laughs> and and he hasn't really brought that in spades. Um, so yeah, in places like a Virginia where. It, it's not necessarily, you know, all blue or all red. You'll see, <clears throat> you'll see that be a factor in in these kinds of flips, and in places like New Jersey, that like yeah, they they skew towards uh, Democratic, but at the same time, sometimes you have a, a Governor Chris Christie, you know, like Jersey's just weird as far as how they vote. It's it's. It's hardcore Democrat on the on the presidential level, and then the swingiest state ever when it comes to state matters. It's so weird. The the polls close another state with the polls close, and bam, the Democrat usually tends to be the winner, hands down on the presidential level. 
But for Senator, I guess mostly Senator too, but on the gubernatorial side, I mean, my goodness. I I think in my lifetime, I think I've actually seen more Republicans. It's a, it's pretty even as far as Democrat-Republican split as uh, for governor in Jersey. And I think Republicans have gotten two terms in my lifetime more so than a Democrat has. Well, let's put it this way. I guess to get it out of the way. Phil Murphy is the first Democrat to win re-election in New Jersey since 1977. So you figure a generation or two. Brendan Byrne was the last governor to win re-election as a Democrat. In I don't Jersey. even know who that is. So, well, Brendan Bernarino, where you know the Nets and the like used to play back in the day. He was a former look. He was a former governor of New Jersey. Yeah, and like he won more than one term. That was before. In 19, was, yes, in the seventies. That was yes. before I was born. So I, I yes. don't know about who the fuck he was. So well, that's. He was good enough to get reelected twice. Let's put it, or to get reelected at least one time. Let's in put it Jersey. that way. In Jersey, so I mean that that if you want a positive for the, for the blue side, there you go. Philip Murphy is the first Democrat in forty years to be reelected. Okay. So more some more good news. So let me let me like um, add a little bit more to the to that point, and then you can respond in kind if you wish. But. There's in in answering all of your questions about what the factors were like. Absolutely, there's a repudiation of a pro- progressive politics. The way that there always is a repudiation of whatever the uh, I don't want to call it the central politics of the time, but there's but the party in power. Flow, there's swings. There's the there's the party in power. Sure, but that's not that's not. I mean, the you know having the presidency and having that power is maybe it's maybe not as much a position of power as it used to be because of the way that bipartisan politics has kind of faded over the last 30 or 40 years more so than you know pretty much any other time since the the civil war like we're we're divided and i'm not saying we're going to have another fucking civil war but that's the, them's the facts america is pretty fucking divided so there's backlash against yeah shit like Black Lives Matter and, you know, critical race theory and, you know, transgender people having fucking rights and abortion rights and all of these things that wherever Republicans can kind of uh, poke the bear Wedge uh, issues. and stick the needle in, they're, they're doing that. And they, they use that more effectively than ever before. I mean, at least in, in our lifetimes, they're, they're sticking these wedge issues in in order to hold on to power more so than even act on these issues or any other conservative or progressive issues. Cause again, it happens both ways. Um, so that's, yeah, that's definitely a, a factor as well. I mean, I think obviously all of these things are, are factors in what happened on election day. Well, I mean, one thing to also bring up again, I think we mentioned this, during the Biden episode was that, again, there was really no strong support for Biden as there was strong anti-Trump buildup. There's a difference between voting enthusiastically for someone and vehemently voting against someone else. And it kind of goes to show that election day, essentially Biden has soft support. I right. Mean, yeah, the people be... that went to Biden in 2020, um, 
it's not a guarantee that they're going to be there in 2024 or 2022. Those yeah. suburban, those suburban folks, the the white non-college females that they say swung the elections uh, in Jersey and Virginia to at least give the Republicans a chance of not overall victory. I mean, it's like the Lincoln Project promised to vote for Biden and not for Trump. They didn't promise to vote for anybody else that was progressive. Exactly. They were and just like, maybe okay, we recognize the danger that is Donald Trump as president, and we'll vote for Biden. Like, you know, they never said that they were better than the party. Over exactly. our nodes, right? But at the same time, you know, we got they, we got they, some state level gains to make. And that's the thing, right? Maybe the issue is people don't like Trump, but they like Republicans or they like Trump's policies. Maybe it's all in the delivery. They don't like Trump because he's an asshole, but clearly there's a market for what he's selling, or at least if it's wrapped up in a different package. So that's something that Democrats really need to take out of the other day because for the mandate that Biden and Democrats thought they had, oh, well, Biden ran on progressive policies. Biden ran on left of center issues. Maybe he didn't read the room as well as he thought he did. Right. So is when you see these the infighting and we can go down this road, too, when you see the infighting between Democrats mm -hmm. in Congress is it's a question I'll ask you. Is Joe Manchin right? Is Kirsten Sinema right? Are you know, are these policies that Democrats are trying to push? Are they too left of center? Are they too progressive as opposed to. Hey, what he's trying to do, bring it, bring it in, be a little more centrist. Is 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 this more democratic inactivity? And well, we see how the sausage is made and it just colored everybody with the bad brush. Or is this more, hey, this progressive stuff we're we're not really feeling and you, you guys better rein it in. Or what, what the, do you think? Or is the GOP's favorite Voldemort, AOC? Uh, she who shall not be named. Uh, is she right? What do you? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to turn the question on you. But I was going to say, ask you the question first, buddy. You don't flip it on me. Now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what do you what do you think? I mean, is it is is Joe Manchin right? So it's Manchin, Man, right? Manchin versus AOC or Cinema versus AOC uh, in terms of. Uh, who is correct? Should the yeah. Democratic Party have moderated more or been more progressive? Uh, or should they have just pass something and say, hey, we'll run on this and we can say, you know, definitively, this is what you're getting with build back better, whatever the hell it's called nowadays. Um, is it is it approach? Is it policy? Is it who's? Yeah. What do you think? I think I have to, and okay, so I, I'm going to have to agree with AOC, but not for the reasons that you think, because it's not necessarily that, that the most Democrat, or it's not necessarily that Democratic voters are pining for a more progressive Democratic party in general, but the people who are most likely to be motivated to go to the polls that were not motivated before will be people who are strongly progressive, very, very far left. If you, if you, as you were, or if you, if you, you know, very, very far to the left, let's just say democratic socialists, right? 
those are the people who would be motivated to get up and go to the polls that just really weren't. Um, I think that it's less of an effect on the other side where if you're more of a moderate, you're, you're heavily turned off by a, a highly progressive candidate, unless it's very, very far left of your values, because you know, you're going to show up and vote Democratic anyway. Moderates are more likely to vote and to go to the polls, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think that part of it is this: there's just no excitement and there's nothing, for lack of a better term, there's nothing inflammatory enough to drive people to the polls. Because, again, you have these elections where GOP officials uh, G- these, that, that won these elections they're running on outrage over mandates, like you said. They're running over outrage over critical race theory. They're running over. They're they're you know, they're, they're almost. I don't want to say entirely, but in a sense, I mean with CRT they are. They're manufacturing outrage in order to to drive the the base to the polls. And there wasn't as much of that, which is something that you can do by by pushing heavy, heavily progressive values and contrasting yourself with a, a Trumplican, we'll call it, a Trumplican, a Trump Republican, which a lot of those candidates and a lot of moderate Republicans as well, but a lot of Trumplican Republicans made gains on election day. So you have to unfortunately counteract that with, with firepower of your own. I think AOC is right. You know, it's interesting you mentioned, or you said it the way you said it as far as an emotion. It's, as you were talking, it kind of, did strike me just how much emotion does play into politics. You know, you use the word outrage and that's Obama won on emotion, Trump won on emotion and then Trump lost on emotion. Yeah. And election day of this year was on emotion too. People vote passionately one way or the other, right? Mm -hmm. Or those folks clearly had seen as if Republicans who were very passionate this year about just what was going on, what's been going on. They came out in droves, as you saw. You have to give them something to be angry about and to go to the polls and change. Yeah, Yeah. emotion is a big driver of turnout, right? I mean, people didn't like Trump. They came out in droves to vote against him. Uh, If there are certain things that you've been pissed off about the past year and you're really pissed... Well, you're going to come out to vote probably this year and say, hey, the guy who's basically driven me crazy the past two years. Well, you know what? It's time for you to go because now I can do that to you. I don't know if you knew. They said in Jersey, the Senate president, I think his name is uh, Stephen Sweeney. He's been president of the Senate of Jersey for 12 years. Um, I think it's the longest reigning Longest serving, excuse me, uh, Senate president in Jersey history. Long may he reign. Reigning, shouldn't say that, but um, and he got beaten by a guy who was a truck driver for Raymore and Flanagan, who was pissed off about having to wear a mask to work and other places, and the dude spent less than ten thousand dollars and beat this guy. And Sweetie's been in office for geez, well over a decade. You know, they see him as a potential contender, probably the biggest Democratic contender for governor in Jersey in 2025. And he just lost to a guy that basically could care less <laughs> about running against him. He just wanted to prove a point and he won. 
and the, and this guy is sweetie right he's a huge influencer he's mm-hmm. he's backed by unions he's you know he, he swings a big hammer around pretty much you know statewide and he held all the cards and he's looking for a job now too passion all these people who thought that they were just gonna you know waltz right back into office again passion is a hell of a thing emotion is a great driver of turnout as we saw crt if you if you frame it as oh don't tell my children what to read how dare you not tell me as a parent that i can't have the same my kids education well, I'm going to be pissed. That might be, you know, something that's pissed me off enough in order to go out and vote. They're indoctrinating our children after all. So, Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes. Telling them lies about the truth I, or truth about the lies. I don't know. Again, that's a topic for another day. But so, emotion, yeah, is a big driver. So you're agreeing um, more with AOC than with Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema that you think that... Uh, that- is that what is that what are you because I, I you can't separate the two to a certain extent, but I, I, I think I, that I think that it's hard to separate these days the very, very left wing part of the Democratic Party and passionate turnout. I mean, it's, it's hard to separate. Well, the, as you mentioned and, before, the, the, right the left wing of the party is the most passionate, right? Those are the ones that are going to probably come out and vote. Those are the ones that stayed home. Those are the ones uh, that on come out day. and vote if you motivate them and get them angry. Just yeah. like the same, you, the same on the right, the the right, the yeah, and you, and right wing, most passionate right wing. Well, but yeah, but damn it! I mean, every time that there's an issue uh, or an election, there's always something for Republicans to be pissed off about. Always, I mean, there's stuff for for Democrats to be pissed off about. But yeah, that doesn't translate into okay, let's go to the polls and do something about it. I don't know if we're just not pissed off enough, you know, <laughs> or what it is, but. I mean, Republicans can take these emotional wedge issues and then just motivate their people to go out. I, it's, I it's hate fascinating. Look, I hate to do to do this to to an extent, but like to throw out a sensitive issue, um, an unfortunate situation like un, like abortion in in Texas and uh, where else was it recently? Iowa or what? What the hell? There's another state recently that. Um, adopted restrictions on abortion similar or worse than Texas. Like that's an issue. That's a perfect wedge issue, I guess, for Democrats to get people outraged on. Like, look what, look at your candidate's record on that, I guess. I mean, again, something that I kind of have loathed to do is to play this really, really heavy political game rather than focus on what issues you can solve. But there's an issue that, that Democrats maybe could have taken advantage of, but didn't. Right, I mean, on election day, in some places. I mean, if we're talking strategy, yeah, right. They did. They they there were not enough emotional issues on the Democratic side, and they I think a part of that is because out there, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a part of it is because people already feel, at least on the on the left or on the Democratic side, that I don't want to say it's already over, but what have you done for me lately? You have. The White House, What's already over, have, like twenty twenty four, like we're it's it's done, or or this presidency, or the not the, I don't want to say this presidency, but He's the ability. Let me rephrase that: the ability to get anything meaningful done that would be able to either a save the Democrats next year in the midterms, or b save them in twenty twenty four when or if Biden runs again. We don't even know if that's going to be a thing, but. 
I, I, yeah, I, I think that I, when you when you listen to what people say as far as some reasons as to why they might not have come out, um, one thing that actually looms large is voting rights, right? I mean, there are certain issues that mm-hmm. vote, that Biden said, okay, I'm going to run on it, I'm going to champion it, and I'm going to take care of. And infrastructure is a big deal, I'm not saying it's not, but for a lot of people, especially those of color, voting rights are a huge deal. You know, I don't know if there, you know, there have been times over the past year where Democrats have tried to put uh, voting rights out there as far as a an issue to be voted on, always rejected by Republicans. Um, but the fight isn't really about that. It sounds like it's more. I think people just hear more infighting. And, yeah, I was going to say that's a matter yeah. of a lack of a unified message, whereas. Yeah. The Republican Party, the GOP, has been really, really good at that for always. Well, yeah, pretty much. Especially lately, their messaging is 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 pretty good because they always manage to fall in line behind whoever they might have been criticizing just days or weeks earlier, as we saw with Trump when he right. was elected, and and you know, Ted Cruz and others were, and Lindsey Graham were were talking about how dangerous he was for the republic oh, one yeah. moment, and and how he was being unfairly attacked by the Democrats the next. So it's a lack of a unified message, I think. Well, the thing that also you can take from this past election day is that maybe Republicans have found theirs for next year. Right? I mean, I'm, I, I'm sure it must have been awfully hard for them to try to figure out how to move on from Trump. What, what talking points could Republicans use that could get people – out to the polls, essentially to forget about what's happened. I don't want to say the past five years, but at least let's say from January 6th on, right, of this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like they're starting to get that playbook, CRT and education or parents' rights, as they're now calling it in quotes, um, abortion, uh, still gun control, now that Biden's in charge. You know, they're, they're starting – and apparently – they're trying to thread the needle with the whole Trump situation. It's quite amusing. Um, it was on Meet the Press this morning. Rick Scott was on, and he's a senator from Florida, and he's the head of the uh, the committee, essentially, in the Senate to recruit uh, candidates for next year. And they asked him straight out, basically, you know, 22% of the people in your party believe that essentially the fix was in. Biden's not a legitimate president. Why is that? And Rick Scott danced around every single thing. He literally said everything but why. Oh, well, you have to ask them. You have to ask Trump. But I know one thing. We're going to go and beat the Democrats and blah, blah, blah. And they tried to bring him back in. He said, no, 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 no. He didn't answer the question, buddy. And after a couple of seconds of stuttering, he still said, hey, I can't. I don't know what to tell you. But hey, those darn Democrats and what they're doing, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think it sounds like they're still trying to navigate, okay, how do we keep Donald Trump at arm's length? But they're definitely going to take Virginia and what happened this past election day, and they're going to comb through that. I don't know if it was a matter of Trump just saying, hey, let me just kind of not necessarily sit this one out, but 
I'll see what I have to say and not show up in the state physically. It's going to be a bigger situation next year. You try telling that guy that he has that he should stay out of the midterms. Good luck with that. Here's though. Here's, here's a fun observation <laughs> from the way that you put all of this, and that how how Republicans are able to so effectively separate the policymaker from the policy, the same way that they made. Obamacare unpopular, even though the policies of Obamacare are wildly popular with the American people. The way that they brand these things is how they're able to somehow still, as you said, take Trump's policies and and popular policies and continue to run with them while maintaining a, a certain distance from the unpopular policymaker and the unpopular politician, Donald Trump. I mean, that's that's kind of interesting how good the GOP has been at that for again at least a good while well what do I always say to you it's all in delivery right how you say things who the messenger is it plays a huge role on how far that message can go or how that message is received and it's one thing when you have a 75 year old guy from New York screaming and barking and saying you know things in one way and he's right and definitively so. And then you have Glenn Youngkin, who's all, all shucks and let me wear, you know, a, a, a vest and, you know, let me kind of keep this guy at arm's length and essentially talk about the same things and really and truly embellish and lie about some other things and then see where this takes me, but keep this, you know, this guy Trump at bay. And well, this time it worked this time it worked. Um, you know, for as much as as folksy as Yunkin, you know, played off and tried to be, I mean, the guy is the CEO of the Carlisle Group. All right. So he ain't poor. I'll tell you that much. And mm. when it comes to policy, I mean, he, he he didn't really run on so so many policies. There were a lot of things that you still don't really know how he feels in regards to really and truly abortion. Really and truly mask mandates. You know, it's gonna be very fascinating to see all these people who've been trying to thread that Trump needle and stay away from him. Are they gonna go that Trump route as far as say, hey, I agree with his policies, but again, just the smiling face who does it? Or are they just gonna say, Okay, now we got the party back and we can start to phase this guy out? Now that they have the mandate, quote unquote, after winning their elections, what which way are they going to go with it? I guess. Yeah. That's a good question. Or I guess the question for you, another one, because I'm just full of questions. Do you think that this past election day kind of gives Trump more of a reason to run in 2024? I mean, it sounds like he's thinking about running. Oh, sure. Do you think this emboldens him? He says, hey, I told you guys so. Y'all didn't want to get rid of me. I, or at least not my policy. <laughs> I think it. I think it very, 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 very heavily emboldens the entire Republican Party and the the Trump wing of it in general. See this this election strengthened both of the party's wings, both far right and otherwise. So I think it's it's a foreboding thing for Democrats the way that this last election went because I think it is going to be an indicator of twenty twenty two. And I think that Trump will definitely run in 2024 after watching this. And if not Trump, certainly somebody like people we've spoken about, like a Tucker Carlson, uh, oh God. will run after seeing how <laughs> things went and how you can effectively, if you need to, distance yourself from Donald Trump 
while embracing his policies, which I'm sure Tucker Carlson will be able to do deftly if need be in certain situations. So I'll well, turn- he, can, he can flip things on this year. It's true. He can he can he can definitely play that what about card as easily as Trump did. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. So this emboldens the entire party and significantly weakens the entire Democratic Party because as we've also discussed, and this is a conversation we might have to have an entire conversation about as well, there isn't anybody really exciting in the Democratic Party that is going to be running in 2024 as far as we understand it. There's no exciting well, candidates. I mean, Biden might run again. No, we don't know. Is he excited? Then again, that's to say well, A, and what? B, that's to say yeah. Who 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 would vote for him again yeah, at this are you, point? Are you excited to vote for Biden again? I mean, well, I guess it's dependent on who the other candidate is, of course, as it always should be. But like, yeah, but who on the Republican yeah. side is there to get excited about either? That's not Trump. I don't think there's uh, right. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody on either side that's that you can see. Oh, that's the next. I mean, him notwithstanding. I mean, uh, let's just say a real. I will say this. One thing that I did find quite fascinating, and I think that you're kind of seeing with the way that politics is starting to kind of turn, or maybe it always has, um, it pays a lot in these elections to be a first-time candidate. It pays not to be a politician when you go into these things. You have no records to run on. You have, you have a clean slate. Look at Phil Murphy four years ago. He ran you, – you can essentially be anything you want to be, right, when you are – an outsider in quotes coming in when you're, when you're an outsider running against a person with the record, that person's mm-hmm. record is always going to be front and center. That's what happened in Virginia. Youngkin again, you know, portrays himself as this guy who walks off the street, folks, you know, shucks McAuliffe portrayed himself as an incumbent, even though he, <laughs> he was the governor previous. He was the governor back in the day. Virginia is all weird as far as how they do things. You only have one term elected, Per time. So you cannot run for re-election for governor in the state of Virginia. It's the only state in the country where you can't run for re-election once you've, at least consecutively, you'd have to basically give somebody else another turn and then you have to come back if you want to run. And then that's what essentially McAuliffe did. He ran, I think it was 2013 and served one term and then he had to leave and he was fairly popular when he left. Uh, Democrats like over Ralph Northam. And that was actually a big deal because it's not very often. Well, yeah, well, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't, well, I guess Trump won in 2016. So Northam theoretically, so Virginia goes, would I guess win. So the story goes in 2017. But McAuliffe ran again in 2021. And he was trying to do this and run as an incumbent. And people seem to like outsiders. People, you can seem to like those that aren't tainted, I guess, by Washington or by politics. It's very, it's just, it's fascinating. They may be like you took that and ran. They may be and like Murphy you, did that four years ago. They may be like you even a little bit more if you don't have a clearly defined set of policies. After all, you know, you have somebody like uh, Eric Adams in New York City who, I mean, we're not really sure what his, his stance is on a lot of things, but we do know he was able to generate enough effective outrage over like, hey, Aren't you upset that crime is going up? You know, it's going up everywhere. Aren't you upset about COVID just because? I mean, like, aren't you upset about all these things? And like, hey, like, fuck that other guy. 
for doing all these things, whoever they are. <laughs> well, fuck that yeah, other girl. Yeah, you mentioned the other guy by name, mind you. Never mind the other that they guy. have no track record on this either. Fuck or that, or even so, the other guy was a guy in his party who's currently the mayor. But hey. I mean, even in the primary, right? <laughs> that was what he did. He was like, "Fuck all of you," because COVID. Well, it's Fuck funny all of you because, because crime. I got the this. way. Well, it's interesting the way that Adams ran his campaign. A lot of other people kind of ran left of center. It's, I mean, it's New York for God's sakes, right? Adams is one of the few. But I mean, Adams came in already thinking he was a front runner, so he was already kind of tiptoeing and you know walking that fine line. But he came into this election as I don't want to say the, I guess you can say the law and order guy, right? And a field and in a city where you figured that might not have flown, but well, things change, and when crime goes up, the former cop who's kind of tiptoeing on the law and order side, hey, it's his time to shine. And Curtis Sliwa, I mean, he did Law and Order he, very differently, but well, he's a blessing and a curse, right? Because he was the Republicans' most well-known candidate, which was a which was a, a positive, but he was also Curtis, <laughs> Curtis Sliwa, which in New York might be a pretty big negative, depending on what side of the political spectrum you fall on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sliwa tried, Sliwa failed miserably. Um, it, it, and Adams is it's it's, it's going to be very fascinating to see how Eric Adams runs New York City, especially after eight years of De Blasio. Um, Blasio has been very progressive. He's been very. Uh, I don't want to see. Well, he's butted heads with a lot of people and a lot of groups, and these are a lot of the same groups that Eric Adams says, "Hey, why are we going to fight?" when we can be friends so well, cops it, firefighters so, so okay yeah. eric adams is kind of we would say if we can identify any kind of politics behind him he's a bit of a moderate democrat so is he a repudiation of progressive democrats or just of bill de blasio in general or both i think it's a little bit of both um there's definitely some de blasio fatigue uh, in the city I, after I, eight years. You and I have had the Blasio fatigue since, like, fucking he first appeared and was like, hey, I'm running for mayor. We were just like, what? Well, again, because when he ran, it was just essentially him by default. There wasn't any passion really behind. And even in this election uh, in, in New York City, I think it was more – He's like, eh, not the Republican. I can speak personally to say there wasn't really, I you know, I wasn't racing to the polls to say, yeah, I'm going to go for this person or, <laughs> yay, Eric Adams. You know, I mean, it, I mean, you get what you get <laughs> as far as candidates, right? And okay, let the chips fall. But again, what did we say? There's a difference between running against someone and running. With you know, running you know, for policy, running for somebody, you know, being being for somebody. I don't really think that de Blasio had that. Yes. Like I'm really passionate about this guy. I think it was just more kind of like, all right, he's a Democrat in New York and sure. All right. Well, what the hell? Um, And to an extent that's part of, I think where Adams is too. I mean, it's, it's, don't get me wrong. It's historic. It's very historic. It's the second black mayor in New York City history where he's going to be. Um, That's a huge deal. It's just I'm just very fascinated to see how he's going to govern, uh, especially post De Blasio. Like I said, De Blasio kind of rubbed 
a lot of people the wrong way, especially within the city government. And he left a, what a bad taste in people's mouths uh, after eight years. And this mandate stuff didn't really help. Again, he has his reasons. I'm not saying I'm anti-mandate. I'm pro-mandate, more or less. Um, but again, hey, when you work in city government, and there are a few who basically thumbed their nose at him and said, no, we aren't going to do that. And they're still out. There are people who are cops, firefighters, other people in the city agencies that still aren't working because, well, you can't if you're not vaccinated. And for better or for worse, that's something that... uh, It was worse for de Blasio. I think you saw... Did you you see that people were throwing trash at the mansion? Are they really? I didn't see that one. They were throwing their trash at the mansion, protesting and and stating that there wasn't trash pickup. Because of the mandates, I guess. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I haven't looked. I'm not trying to say that they're lying, but I haven't seen that in my neighborhood. Um, so take it, take that for what you will. Take it with a grain of salt. But it's been for worse. I mean, it's generally been for worse in de Blasio's case because nobody really, really likes him over here. Well, we already knew that with this mandate that city services would be compromised. I guess it's just a matter of... We'll find um, out how much. He's going to blink first, pretty much, right? Yeah. It's, it's, this is a game of chicken at this point. It's de Blasio in principle versus <laughs> those that are unvaccinated and the practical boots on the ground of, okay, when are we getting shit done as far as city services? Um, so now the question is, when Adams is mayor January 1st, does all this go away? Are there no more mandates? Do is the can Kyrie Irving play for the Nets? <laughs> you know, um, do all the policies go away? Can we go to a restaurant and not have to show proof of ID? Can I go to a movie and not do that? I don't know. I don't know if any. And Eric Adams is a mystery. And well, you know what? Congratulations. I guess we'll see what you do January first. That's all I can say at this point. Because in all honesty, I don't know what the hell else. I can say. All right. All right. So like let's let's <laughs> let's I, I was thinking we should start to wind down this conversation. I wanted to do that with a couple of questions. Um my first question is do you agree or do you disagree that this election was uh a bad sign for Democrats in 2022 and 2024? And I suppose whether you agree or disagree what is the best way forward for Democrats to win elections in 2022 and 2024? Poli-Sci Major, go. Or oh, you're, you're pushing my question back to me, huh? Yes. More or less. Well, I mean, that's only fair. You should be, have to- No, no, no. You're, you're, you're in right. In kind, I think. So um, what do you think? Poli-Sci Major, go. <laughs> well, I, that's- I would say that- you know, going into this, I guess I was wrong as far as the whole McAuliffe thing. I actually kind of thought that uh, McAuliffe was going to win and win fairly easily, more so because, well, the, the stuff that Youngkin was running on was ridiculous and not true. Was it? But, well, I mean, what Election Day goes to show you is that, well, maybe you don't need the truth in order to win. That's what shit. I mean, we've been through that with with Trump. Clearly, you don't need the truth to win. It's the truth is what you make of it, right? So historically, when you know these are bellwether states, uh, Jersey and Virginia, how they go 
seems to be an indicator as to how the midterms will go. I will say this much. I definitely think that Democrats are going to probably lose the House. It just seems that way, right? If, if Democrats can lose in two states that they won easily on the federal level, less essentially less than a year ago, I think election day is three. It's not even one year to election day yet from last year. Now it is. And, but it wasn't. No, I, yeah, I'm saying like, you know, last Tuesday was when the election. Yeah. When the election occurred, it was not a full year. It was not a full year. The presidential and, election. Today we're yeah, recording and, on election day, basically. Right? It was a six, right? Yeah. Oh, no, no, or today, I'm sorry. Today's the seventh. We're recording. Or the, Whatever the day is, I can't remember what day it is. It's the seventh. <laughs> the date it is the seventh, right? The seventh. Yeah, it should have been. Okay, the let's, let's. I'm pretty let's sure we, we voted on the seventh last year. If we're if we're wrong, it was the sixth. Forgive us if we got that day wrong. But yeah, or it, it, could been, be the it had I don't know. been less than a full <laughs> calendar year since the presidential election took place. Yes, that's if that the, is certain. If if things can shift this quickly in a year. Democrats are in trouble next year. I don't know to what extent, but I would say the midterms probably don't look good for Democrats. Um, I think the House is at least gone. The Senate might be too, depending on the candidates. Well, it's just that Democrats just have more surface area as far as places to defend, right? When they, uh, and they're the ones in charge. And so everything is going to be a referendum on their policies or lack thereof, whatever they are in these past two years, right? Mm-hmm. Biden, I think, look, it's still early. It's not has it's been what, 10 months since he's been in office. I'm not ready to write the guy off yet. Um he could be this generation's Jimmy Carter. It's very possible. But I mean the guy has got three years. He can turn it around. But the way that politics works nowadays, I mean the president's got basically a year before, okay, now we're talking midterms. And maybe I can send out one major piece of legislation. I mean, this is what it's come down to. Like a, a president can get one major piece of legislation out before the next race, basically, the next yeah. contest. Does he, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's 2024 again. And now, you know, it's this. this yeah, it's, like, does it's he sad. have three years? He doesn't have three years to turn it around. He has a year. He had a year and a half. Year and a half. He had a year. Until, if, yeah. Until the next the next election in twenty twenty two, basically, He's which is it. which is ridiculous. I mean, all we do when all we do is just have this horse race nonsense from one election to the other. I mean, that that's essentially what keeps cable news and other news outlets of, uh, afloat, right? I mean, just that that who versus who. That's always it's that's kind of like how the ESPN, CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, right? You always have to have a battle between the two sides, right? Um, it, Biden and 2024, there are a lot of factors. Is Biden going to run? Is Kamala going to run? I still think that Gavin Newsom, ha, huh, he might be a dark horse. As far as maybe bucking the trend, he might he might pull a Ted Kennedy or a Bobby Kennedy and say, you know what? Like, even though Kamala is from California, maybe he sees an opening. Can, just to swoop in and take the nomination for the Democrats. I mean, it might be just as wide open in 2024 on the Democratic side still, So funny enough, as it was last year. That segs for me in a sense perfectly. Is that what they have to do in order to win in 2024? Do, do Democrats in some places have to step in where candidates are going to be weak and say, you know what? We got somebody 
more exciting. I mean, not Demo- maybe not Democrats, but do candidates have to say to themselves, like, this candidate here in this centrist state for the Democrats is exceedingly weak, and I need to step in and generate enough enthusiasm in order to hold on to or win some more elections for Democratic politicians. Is that what they have to do? Well, I mean, do you need name recognition. Well, you, well hmm. the thing is, well, name recognition has always been a big thing in Newsom. Well, first of all, Newsom already has, he has his own election to worry about. He's got to run again next year. This recall was just to essentially see who was going to fill out the rest of his term. But hell, he has another term he has to fight for in 2022 also. I mean, it seems as if he's going to be, it should be a shoe in to win, right? I mean, if he won so easily a couple of months ago, uh, then it should be pretty easy for him to win, we think. I guess it depends on next if year. Uh, Larry Elder runs or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Larry Elder, he's a piece of work. But, um, yeah, again, it's 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 just it's it's lack of viable candidates. There are a couple of different factors. If you're asking me and you what have. Do do? Yeah, what do they do? Today, um, I mean, name recognition is always a you know a plus. If you if, okay, so get as long as you do things. Run. Um, hey, Matthew McConaughey is thinking about running of governor in Texas, but again, we don't know if that would be as a Republican or a Democrat. Funny enough, he hasn't said, mm-hmm. as far as I know, right? When the President George Clooney, I mean, hey, if George Clooney decided to run, or Tom Hanks, right, if they ran for president in twenty twenty four. Hell, they might act, they might be Biden easily. <laughs> President Hank. With, right? President Clooney. I again right. I think Morgan the outsider Freeman? thing Maybe is a big thing. Really run for president. Well, he's he's really old, right? Morgan Freeman's Who? Morgan Freeman. Man, if Morgan Freeman ran for president. He was the first black he was the first black president in film, right? Yes. So, like if he were the first well, like not the first, he'd be number two. Second black president. But he's he's like eighty, isn't he? He's fucking old as hell. So is Biden. What's the difference? I know, but I'm just saying, like, do we want At this more, point, like, I mean geriatric candidates? I would say no. You you want some younger blood to to jump in, maybe. Well, that goes to show you that there's not much excitement as far as the youth in uh, in either side, right? If it's a 78-year-old guy versus a 75-year-old guy for the battle of the soul of America when it comes to the presidency, well, yeah, I think that both sides need a deeper bench. I don't know. Any, any young people I know who are Republicans seem to enjoy Trump, Trump just fine. So, I mean. Well, that seems to be where the party's going, right? I mean, it seems to be going in that direction as far as that's the Republican Party nowadays. You Biden, I'll I'll tolerate Biden as president because fine, sure, whatever he won, I roll, and we're just gonna double down on everything that we hate. No, uh, again, this he, is a generalist. He, <laughs> no, Republicans would say he quote unquote won the election. So because you know a, a majority, a, a, a large majority, twenty two percent of Republicans, according to Meet the Press, say that Biden is legitimately. Elected. That is seventy-eight percent of Republicans don't feel that way, or are and not, these are the, or are these not are the sure. people, or are not uh, sure. right. And these are the people that are going to be running, yeah, yeah, in these uh, for these for these races, and will have control if they win over the January Sixth Commission, over voting rights, over the future of this country, and the future of both parties. This is a bit. <laughs> 
you know, people want to sleep on this stuff. And this is this is some scary shit, you know, as far as where this country can go in the next couple of years. And sometimes, right, I mean, I, when it comes to the voting rights thing also, I mean, I'm disappointed. I'm very disappointed that things haven't been done yet. And granted, yes, Roman wasn't built in a day. Biden has four years. I get all of that. But when it comes to emotion and what got you in there, he might have to you dance with Brunya, right? And he might have to kind of pivot a little bit. But I guess to turn the question on its ear, what progressives, well, mm, I guess it's a matter of who you think you owe more to. Do you owe more to the progressives? Because, hey, that's who kind of got you over the edge. Or do you appeal more to the suburbanites who, in their own special way, also got you over the edge? Are we talking about Biden here? Or are we talking about... Yes. Okay. Okay. So... I'm just, yeah, that's just, you know, kind of like a general question. And that is going to be very fascinating to see which direction he goes. Yeah, he's if he governed runs. as a senator if he runs. Well, let's see from here on out and during his presidency, he's still president now. What does he do from, honestly, tomorrow on? He got the House finally voted on the infrastructure bill, right? A couple of days ago. It's supposed to go back to the Senate where it's probably going to end up being switched around again. And then that's where the whole mansion and cinema dynamic comes in. But I mean, after what lessons have Democrats learned from Tuesday? And it's gonna be very interesting how they how they govern from here on out. I don't think you know Biden's not done, but the next year and a half are gonna be very, very crucial for him. And it depends on who hell, he can only do but so much if he if he has or doesn't have Congress, right? So Let's see how the midterms go and let the chips fall. If he, if Republicans win both houses, he's in for a long three years. Um, but then you can also turn it on its ear and say he can shroom it and basically say, hey, you want to know why I didn't get things done post midterm or hell, even pre midterm because those do nothing Republicans and hell, it worked for Truman. It could work for Biden. Time will tell. All right. So I guess we shall see is our general stance, but we should yeah, worry it's a cop out, but... is our more specific <laughs> stance. We should be worried and we need to generate, as always, more excitement for these candidates than we have, let's say, recently. Or maybe we should just get better candidates. Yes. Well, that's one way to generate more excitement for these candidates. <laughs> I didn't say necessarily the, can- the candidates that are already there. They need some new ones. Yeah, from the pool of which we have to uh, to deal with, right? Yeah, we need some more old white men to generate to generate excitement in the Democratic Party. That's what we need. That's exactly what we need. All right, more old white guys. Yes. So let's wrap this one. (laughs) Let's wrap this one up. Uh, All right, then. This has been another lovely episode of the Positively Cynical Podcast. I'm going to do my quick things real quick. As y'all know, the best way to support your favorite podcast crew: like, rate, share, subscribe. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and give us a review there to generate some engagement for these podcast peeps that you love to listen to. You can check us out just about everywhere on all of your favorite social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now TikTok. You can find us at Positively Cynical. And the best and easiest way to find us pretty much anywhere, including our website, including all of our episodes, is to hashtag Positively Cynical 
on your favorite search engine. Um, and we have been recording remotely, as you know. So slide into our DMs and give us feedback on that if need be. We do appreciate you all joining us for another lovely episode of the Positively Cynical Podcast. Welcome back, question. Welcome back, me. And we'll have some more lovely episodes coming up for you very, very soon. So, uh, yeah. Take care, y'all. Peace.